This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 462, for June 24th, 2015. We're brought to you this week by Red Hat and Zoom. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the podcast. I allege that I'm senior contributor Glenn Fleischman to Macworld, but can you really be sure anyone is who they say they are in this day and age? We'll talk a little bit about that this week, and we'll finally get to OS X El Capitan, which we've put off for a few weeks because we've had other stuff that seemed more pressing. And joining me this week, as always, Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. Uh, can you please read off the 15-digit code on the back of your hand so I can confirm that you are, in fact, Susie Oaks? Um, no. <laughs> it's a, it's a QR code, so it's it's dot, space, space, dot, space, dot, space. You want me to keep going? Hold it up to the microphone, and the microphone will go bleep and okay. scan you in. Well, so the last couple of weeks have brought a surprising uh, amount of malware, or attacks, I should say, things that make Mac users and uh, other users, in some cases, a little nervous, um, iOS users. Uh, so we had two, and I thought um, maybe it's worth talking about those a little bit, even though um, they've died down. But we had uh, the LastPass breach of their uh, user database, and we also had Zara, X-A-R-A, which is uh, cross-application exploits uh, for um, in uh, iOS and OS X, although mostly in OS X. Uh, are you surprised to see a spate of, um, of attacks uh, of this kind that affects Apple owners? Um, I mean, yes and no. The last pass breach was not super surprising because we see sometimes these these cloud services, um, you know, get get hacked and everyone says, "Okay, I got to change, go change your password." Um, it's you know somewhat ironic that a password service got hacked, but um, it was what, what did they get? Like names and email addresses, and yeah, they got, they were pretty they sure that your actual like the stuff that you really rely on it to keep safe wasn't compromised but you know that's what the, the vault that has the data in it that's in, the encrypted vault mm-hmm. what they are fairly positive those weren't obtained uh, and they may store those in a separate way which is why they can be sure of that or more sure of that but yeah it was usernames passwords password reminder hints that's oh, the part that's right. and uh, okay. they got salts and hashes which i can explain in a moment too but uh yeah and that affects more i mean there there are are certain kinds of exploits and breaches that affect people on one platform. Like you're an iOS user and using iOS 8 and using such and such an app or it affects all of iOS 8 or 7 or 6. And then there's a LastPass thing, which affects anybody who's a LastPass uh, user across every platform. Although I'm not sure. I think they have a preponderance of Apple uh, users, but I'm not sure. Yeah, like hearing about a service getting compromised was sort of like, you you know, when you hear that Home Depot's database was compromised. So that, that wasn't too shocking. But the Zara thing was kind of weird because, um, you know, everyone thought that if you, Apple's, you know, keeps malware out of the app stores. So that was strange that the researchers, you know, to prove that this was a real thing had to try to get malware past Apple's gatekeepers for the app store and, and were able to do it. And then they immediately pulled you know, the applications so no one, you know, could download them and actually infect themselves. But but they proved that it was possible. And that that was a little surprising to me because, you know, we sort of thought that Apple had that on lock and we could just trust that there would never be malware in the app stores. I guess that was naive of me to think. Well, yeah, it's it depends on what you scan for. The rev- app review process is supposedly the reason it exists. Uh, you know, one of the, the stated purposes is to 
have a you know great experience for users to keep low quality apps out is to keep apps you know that don't meet a function that don't work well that crash it's to keep malicious software out so that you don't have the problems that they have um, on Android and you know Android has two separate problems one is that many phones I don't think all phones many phones let you sideload apps without having to go through the Google Play Store I don't think every, true. not every model though because some phones are locked down and you have to root them and so forth I think I don't think you can just install but I think that most Android users can install and it's true on like the Amazon Fire as well you can sideload apps outside the Amazon App Store and then Google Play but Google Play is it's sort of a non-review like they they you have to get into their program and be paid and so you know all those details have to be set up as the Developer, uh, and that's the you know the open thing is that the crowd knowledge should keep people away from malicious apps, and uh, and that has worked not very well, I think. Although, but the flip side is this not this totally curated experience. You know, if the advantage is we don't get exposed to it, then maybe it's one. Uh, the the thing here too is that this was mostly OS 10 flaws. There's one that affects iOS and OS 10, and uh, I would wager that most. Users don't buy, say, the greatest diversity of software isn't available in the Mac App Store. And I think users that buy a diversity of software are mostly not buying from the Mac App Store. So, again, I think that the Mac App Store would probably represent mostly uh, people getting Apple apps and certain popular apps as opposed to going through in a deep discovery process to find software that, I mean, someone has to get an app with this exploit in it or one of the multiple exploits in it past Apple's review process, then get people to download and install it, even yeah. if it's free. And that, you know, I mean, they could advertise it as the next Flappy Bird, but, you know, maybe 10 people download that. How do you reach people? With, uh, <laughs> you have to make compelling malware. So, so you not only have to be able to write software that can exploit this, you have to also be able to develop an iOS and produce something good enough that it passes as an app past the App Store reviewers and also... Does, uh, conf fools the App Store reviewers into not using, you know, not uh, rejecting it because they find malware potential. So you need black hat programming and then black hat marketing. <laughs> exactly, black hat marketing. That's a that's a good thing. Buy this app; it'll make yeah. your computer feel entirely different, <laughs> like a new machine. But the the nice part in this one, and I feel like uh, it's been well emphasized too uh, in this week's Private Eye column that I wrote too, is that there were a lot more, uh, there was a lot of cooperation. The researchers didn't uh, do a, it's a zero day attack. So the moment it was announced, it was exploitable potentially. Um, and that's so every vector wasn't patched when it was announced, but the vectors are hard to get at. And the researchers disclosed to Apple in October, Apple put a statement out. So the paper came out last Wednesday morning, Apple put a statement out Friday afternoon, essentially confirming they'd made some fixes, confirming the researchers, you know, are legit and that they're working with them to uh, go through other things. But Apple had over six months to look at this work, see the final paper in February. Uh, I know one password, uh, this Agile Bits, uh, was able to uh, to uh, discuss this with the researchers. They disclosed to them. I think they disclosed to other companies. Uh, so this wasn't like a, hey, there's this terrible problem and you're all screwed. It was... We found something. We're going to do responsible disclosure. We're going to work, and and that was appreciated clearly by the companies involved because it reduces user risk, and that's great. Yeah. So, uh, bottom line, people listening to the podcast, they can still trust that the you know if if they do use the Mac App Store, that the stuff in there is is going to not poke holes in their in their firewalls and. 
leave them vulnerable. Don't don't download really obscure software. And, uh, and we also see, oh, this is a, a nice thing too. I got an email from uh, Facebook, uh, the security team press people uh, uh, yesterday. And Facebook makes a tool they distribute for free to developers, or sorry, to system administrators, I should say, not to developers, from their security team. It has nothing to do with Facebook per se. It's part of their you know stated goal to help make the internet better, right? And so this is part of the, you know, it's PR, but it's also a good tool. So it actually, so whatever their purpose, it's good. It's a tool called OS Query, works on Linux and Mac. And uh, if you're a network or system administrator, you can run this thing and it could be scanning machines for all kinds of stuff and, and delivering performance reports. It lets you extract information from uh, the, the OS 10 and Linux operating systems and uh, be able to pop that into, you know, whatever you're using to make sure everything's working right. And so they added, th they are able to scan for three of these kinds of attacks in OS 10, where permission would change on files or other behavior would change. So you set up mm. baseline profile, you install this, you keep it running, and if anything changes, it says, hey, somebody just modified the access control list for the password for this app, and you might want to look at it. So there's even that level of cooperation going on, that you have uh, other companies stepping in to try to um, help developers and administrators and so forth. So this all seems like a really wonderful response to what could have been a, a massive uh, blowout. It's a feel-good story. That's right. Yeah, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, no, this is terrible because it's interapp and whatever. It was – oh, you know, we should mention – so the, the you can read our multiple coverage on it. But uh, the idea is that Apple has secured apps really well. But in order to allow apps to communicate with one another, there are a bunch of conduits and ways of passing things back and forth, like uh, ports, uh, sockets, so you can have um, a, a Safari talk to one password to ask for passwords for a fill-in through an extension. You can have, um, you know uh, – Things like Evernote can be a uh, component of uh, stuck in another app so that you can pass things back and forth, that sort of thing. And so they found flaws in this inter-application communication, the way that Apple validates what has access to what and uh, the way that apps validate who told them what. So um, these, things can, these things can now, many of them can be scanned against. Apple's clearly fixed some of it. And then there'll have to be some developer and some... Uh, iOS and OS 10 um, mild reengineering, perhaps to uh, to close it entirely, but that's the scoop. Um, oh, I wanted to say some, one other thing about the last pass breach. You know, whenever there's a password breach, we have these discussions about um, what it means. And the weirdest one is, I originally this again, I thought, oh no, LastPass, they lost their password, you know, uh, database, and this is going to be ruinous. But the way that they and One Password and other companies secure their data is so uh, difficult to untangle that. Even though LastPass lost everything except the password vaults, it's very likely that virtually no user data is at risk. It's an incredible thing. The password hints are worse because if somebody's password hint is really terrible, but then you can't just algorithmically check password hints. Human beings have to examine one at a time the password hint, the email address, look up information about someone. So for a targeted attack, the LastPass breach, if someone had a particularly suggestive password hint, might mean something, but in terms of like brute force attack, it's actually totally resistant, um, which is uh, not totally, but like, you know, 99.999% resistant. There just aren't enough uh, computational cycles on the planet to, uh, to make a dent in it fast enough to be useful for criminals. Right, because of these hashes, right? Yeah, they do. The, they do two things. It's I, you know I wrote a column, but I won't go into all the detail. But it's it's great and it's best practices now. So they first they um, you take a password and instead of storing it unencrypted, you run it through a security algorithm that performs a series of operations on it and uh, it encrypts it as a hash, which is like a sh a shorthand in two different 
inputs, like two passwords that vary by as little as, say, one bit. Like you have an uppercase A and now it's an uppercase B. That produces a totally different hash because the algorithms are highly divergent. So uh, the math makes that possible. So they do – that's one thing. Then they take a salt, which is a random number that's combined with the password so that when it's run through the hash – Two identical passwords in their hashed form don't look the same. So even though the salts were grabbed and the, ha the final hashes were grabbed from LastPass, it still doesn't matter because you have to calculate each password individually. You can't, uh, you can't crack one password. Like let's say uh, 10,000 people use the password lowercase password. Those 10,000 passwords look different in the hashes that are stored, which is great. Then, <laughs> then they use an algorithm that runs through that hash thousands of times. And, um, and this is what one password does the same thing. Other companies do the same for the local storage. So the, the, instead of just producing one hash, that's taken and then run through again and again and again. And every iteration means that in order to check to break a password, you have to run through that same number of iterations as a cracker. So that increases the work involved. And then... <laughs> but there's um, more. There's more. What LastPass did is because they were worried, you know, they wanted to have the best security on the server side in case something was stolen. Because it's all cloud-based. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, they, yeah, they store stuff on the endpoint. So you have your... LastPass, you have your... Uh, passwords and local storage on your various machines, it's synced and stored in the cloud. And you can turn yeah. that off too if you want, but it's that's one of their key features. One password, it's all endpoints. They sync through Dropbox or iCloud and the data is stored in the cloud, but it's not accessible in one central server. Like my Dropbox account has my one password encrypted database. Uh, LastPass has a central server that has all users encrypted databases and, okay. and so forth. So one password never has access to my, I never type my password into a one password field that's transmitted to a central location and stored in hashed form. So LastPass did this extra step, which is they ran through, they took the, the hash that client software creates, and they can do this in a web app or a native software app. So the, the, that highly encrypted version of the password is then sent to their servers, and they do 100,000 more iterations, which mean we did the math, and, uh, and I checked it because there's a couple different uh, suggestions of what it might be, but it looks like crackers with you know, some tens of thousands of dollars worth of uh, GPU, graphical processing unit-based uh, calculation systems where you're using GPUs to run uh, encrypted uh, crypto uh, software to run it super fast. So you can have tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment and maybe run, uh, I think, 10 to 30 passwords per second. And, you know, that doesn't get you very far. It gets in that. So it's 10 to 30 passwords per second. And those passwords are per account. So if you have a million accounts, the amount of time it would require with, um, oh, no, I was wrong. I'm sorry, with $100,000 worth of PC gear and GPUs, it would still be that rate. So, you know, you can rent equipment, you can go up, but highly resistant. And, um, and that's wonderful. So that's the future is that even though there's hardware out there, like on our Macs, we could calculate millions, maybe billions of these hashes per second, but that's just the first step. Then we have to do it 5,000 times. <clears throat> then we have to take that result and do it 100,000 times. And once we've done that, maybe on our Macs, we can calculate one every couple minutes. Um, and uh, that uh, that's why our passwords are, are safe, assuming all the implementation was correct. 
cool. It's good. I should, uh, before we go on to talk about why Apple should kill the Mac, bum, 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 <laughs> uh, we should thank one of this week's sponsors. And let me thank Red Hat. So it's not news that supported open source is now widely accepted at the highest levels of enterprise computing. But the extent of adoption is probably broader than you think. Most of the open source running in elite data centers is Red Hat. And it's more than just Red Hat Enterprise Linux, too. That's the best known flavor. But Red Hat offers storage solutions cloud computing, and everything you need for application development. It's all open source and enterprise grade. The stats are eye-opening. Did you know Red Hat runs in every executive department of the U.S. government? Every airline, telecom giant, healthcare company in the Fortune Global 500. The New York Stock Exchange in every commercial bank in the Fortune 500. In fact, more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 use Red Hat for everything from the critical to the routine. The only thing that's really surprising, I guess, is that how many people know about technology and don't know this? It's almost like Red Hat snuck in, got comfortable, and quietly transformed the technology business without making a fuss. Sometimes the most disruptive technology is the stuff that no one notices at first. But you can notice by finding out more about how Red Hat is quietly redefining enterprise technology by visiting redhat.com. Red Hat. Build on it. Run with it. Count on it. And thanks to Red Hat for being one of our sponsors this week. Susie, I've got this digital stake here and I'm ready to stab it through the heart of the Macintosh. Tell me why I should stop. <laughs> because that would be crazy. Um, yeah. So Christopher Mims from the Wall Street Journal wrote not one, but two columns. The first one suggesting that Apple should kill off the Mac and the second one trying to explain why uh, we were all misguided in our outsized reactions to the first column. <laughs> um, so you wrote a really good rebuttal that was like, no, no, they should not kill off the Mac. And so, yeah, at first you thought that his first column was more about like focus, that Apple's trying to do too many things and they need to streamline their product line. And that's kind of reminiscent of, I mean, didn't that happen kind of when Steve Jobs came back the, the first oh, time yeah. they were, they were making like a camera and a video game thing. And I don't know what else they were making. It was but he the was like, okay, They killed off we, like all kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, let's kill all this. But that's not, no, they're not, they're, they should not kill off the Mac. Um, when Tim Cook stands in front of the little, you know, uh, slide that has all the products silhouetted on it, it's a good product line. It's very complete. And yeah, I, you made Great arguments, I think. Um, so, so yeah, that's it's totally ridiculous. Well, his second um, column seemed to focus on the idea. Well, so the first column was focus, and the second was, well, maybe it's not focus. Maybe it's what I was really saying was that <laughs> uh, yeah, what I really meant to say, and I don't think he got at this really in the first, was that in, a, in some number of years in the near future, there won't be really that much difference between mobile and desktop or there, right. won't be, there won't be a thing called the Macintosh because its necessity will have evaporated as opposed to saying kill a super profitable, successful computer line in which all development for iOS, the watch, and OS X is performed. That yeah. would be a large computer company in its own right and that has, you know, 30% plus margin. So, no, I wasn't saying that. And, he's, and I also say, Chris Mims is a nice guy. He writes really smart stuff. And I feel like he got this bee in his bonnet and he's doubling down. But I don't know, Susie, I mean, I can see convergence. I'm sure you can too, that there'll, there'll be a point at which there might not be as much distinction between iOS and OS X or maybe none at all. I, I can definitely see that at some point in the, in the not near future. Yeah, well, so we're getting these pro features with the iPad and iOS 9. You'll be able to run apps side by side, drag things from one side to another. 
those are pretty good power user features and that's going to help the iPad be more productive for a lot of people. But it's easy for us, I think, as writers who just type words into a text box and it could be anywhere <laughs> to forget that, you know, other people use their computers for for a lot more complicated things than that. Um, you brought up the development community and said, look, I mean, they are taxing their their current modern machines to compile these apps. I mean, even just, you know, an iOS app can be can be very resource intensive depending on what you're doing. And so so that doesn't make sense. I mean, what are Apple's own engineers going to use? Um, asked John Gruber. What are, you know, Apple's going to be like, okay, we're not making Macs anymore. Here, you all get PCs um, because they're they're not going to be able to to do that stuff on on iPads. But yeah, you know, a, a, a few more years down the road, for some people, it's the whole trucks and cars thing. We're mm-hmm. not all going to need trucks. Some of us will be fine in compacts or on mopeds. But but. <sighs> You know, tr- trucks aren't going away. If you took trucks away now, you know the whole the whole infrastructure like economy would collapse because although you and I aren't driving trucks <laughs> to our jobs, like all the stuff that we buy and use is getting moved around with trucks, and computers are really like that too. So, so yeah, his first his second column was almost like I didn't I didn't forget about development. Like you know, they, there's this one app that's not really out yet that's going to let you develop on, on your iPad. So yes. you quote the one app developer who's making an app development environment for developing iOS apps in iOS. I'm like, okay, so that is a very specialized... I know, I get the point that that's the way of the future. Like this guy who's making the iOS development environment in iOS is pointing the direction of how things will go. And I do expect it will be possible to do more and more in iOS for certain kinds of apps as well, like and and also the idea that there's going to be more apps than there already are a number of apps that let you, uh, as a not as a programmer, to do things that that output an app you can then upload and sell on the store, or give away on the store. I've seen more of those, and those are are actually fairly cool too. But that's a subset of yeah of all the activity. and Apple isn't the only company trying to you know streamline what developers have to do to write software. I mean, Facebook has developer tools. Google has developer tools, Apple, you know, Swift 2.0. They're like, we're just, we're going to try to keep making it easier and easier for people to make software. But <laughs> I don't think we're to the point yet where where you'll be able to do that on on an iOS device. I mean, well, you know, maybe ten years from now. But yeah, and then the other part is that the the Mac is so the computer industry overall is shrinking. The Mac business is growing. And Apple kind of owns the high end of the computer market. Like they're the ones making all the money. They have the best margins. They have these retail stores that you know make more money per square foot than Tiffany. It would just be a really dumb idea to stop selling some of their most, you know, coveted and expensive products. Yeah, on the focus side, I think that was a. I think the mistake is to look just at revenue from. Macs as well is, you know, Macs have a halo effect. And I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think there's any good way now to tell. And I'm, I'm sure this percentage has gone way down. But if you look at iOS, you know, who bought iOS devices initially in 2007? It was Mac owners. Mac users, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we wanted something, that, a smartphone that actually worked with our computer without third-party software, weird conduits, or we wanted a mobile. I mean, I think it was too early then to have a mobile.
available. Only device. Some people did that, but most people, it was a uh, the iPhone was a was an adjunct to our computer, right? And then and slow. it was still tethered to iTunes. Yeah. And iTunes on the PC is terrible. I mean, so how many years it made was sense it? that it was a Mac product. When did they go to um to like Wi-Fi only? Or I mean, it was was it 2010? Maybe the iPhone four. Yeah, it was yeah. a ways in. So right, so you had to have a Mac, or and then you had you could have a Windows machine with iTunes as well. But I and they I don't thought, know any <clears> Windows <throat> user who like use iTunes. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> well, have to. Years, I'm not gonna. I knew some people who bought iPhones because they were thinking about a smartphone. They liked it. And they're like, they held their nose at being a Mac owner. They're like, oh, I can just use it with my Windows machine. And they got enough of an advantage. And then over time, that's changed, right? iOS users today may never own a computer at all. They yeah. may own any kind of computer. They may be a Chromebook owner. And this is, but you know, it, and then iOS slowly, an iPhone, especially iPhone 6, 6 Plus, or iPad Mini Air, these all become primary computers for some people, or it's where they spend most of the time the desktop, something they use at work, or they have an old one they use at home for very particular things. So, but but I think there's still a halo effect as you look at people who have, you know, Mac Mac owners have a lot more money than the rest of the world combined, right? And if you look at the PC market or Android market, the, the um, Mac owners have a higher income. And because it's a specialized group of people, people buy Macs, particularly these days, for specialized purposes. So those people are also more likely to have the money or convince their company to buy iPhones and iPads and they buy watches and so forth. So that halo effect, like I wouldn't be surprised if 25% of Apple's revenue comes from people who own Macs, even though only 10% comes from actually people buying Macs at that particular time. Maybe that's too high. Maybe I'm you know, exaggerating the impact the Mac still has, but it's clearly, it punches above its 10% uh, revenue share. Um, so, but the other, I don't know, the thing that caught me about the focus was I felt like it was a misunderstanding of how Apple works. Like Apple isn't making three operating systems. They're making, uh, I mean, they are, they actually have, you know, Apple TV has its own operating system, Airport Extreme as a platform where it has, uh, you know, it's free BSD under the hood and whatever. But like in, in, the, in the whole, Apple does development in one direction now and they have different forks of it for these different platforms. But it's not like making... And the hardware side, I don't want to say they perfected it, but you know they can make the MacBook and the watch at the same time, and the hardware for both is top-notch. And you may not like the choices they made, and you may not like, as I do, the Watch 1.0 software was not so terrific, and it was fine, and I'm looking forward to the next rev. But they're able to execute on hardware perfectly fine. I don't see a split in focus mm-hmm. there. You know, The watch was late because they were, you know, quote-unquote late, because they were putting so much into it. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a... I don't, I don't well, think that the Mac takes focus away in the sense of reducing Apple's ability to accomplish other goals, especially when it's such a you know allows them the diversity of having other uh, other revenue sources besides iOS. Yes, even the hardware thing, the different hardware lines can influence each other because I mean we first saw Force Touch and the watch, and then it appeared in the MacBook trackpad, and. So things like that, I mean, there's no way you can say that Apple hasn't applied lessons they've learned from making better screens for iPhones to making better screens for Macs and, you know, and vice versa. The size of the mother, the main circuit board in the MacBook. I mean, look mm -hmm. at that. They wouldn't have been able to do that without the iPad. I mean, ostensibly wouldn't have been able to do that without all the iPad development. Yeah. So so there probably is a lot more crossover than any of us are really aware of. And it just, yeah, it didn't make sense. I thought the focus thing was maybe like the best argument you could make, but even that fell apart pretty quickly. Yeah, what Apple really needs to focus on is is better quality assurance, not um, not having fewer products. I think they have maybe they have a few too many products. We could, one could argue there's maybe too many models for sale of Mac and whatever. Who knows? 
whatever. But that's a hardware issue. All those run the same software. So on the software side, I'm like, get the fit and finish right. And that's exactly what they did. They said, okay, we've had a big push for years and years. We're going to slow down. We're going to yeah. do iOS 9 is going to have one flagship feature for certain models. OS 10, which we'll talk about in a moment, has a bunch of minor improvements and we're going to fix crap, right? And I'm thinking <laughs> the moment Chris Mims wrote that is the moment at which Apple is going to reap the most rewards from this push they've had since John Ive, Johnny Ive took over, you know, sort of the whole interface side. I think we're seeing the benefit of that now, and I'm hoping hoping we are. Um, the, the last thing I want to mention, I think you mentioned performance definitely before, and I think that's the thing that was kind of the second column uh, that he wrote. Um, it, it's as long as you can, can't put a high performance GPU. These, you know, it's funny. I'm doing some uh, some articles right now. For other publications, yes, I freelance. And, uh, and <laughs> GPUs come up all the time. I'm doing a cryptography article, GPUs, GPUs, GPUs. I'm doing an article about robots, GPUs, GPUs. It's like all, computer vision. Like everything has to do with being able to get these incredibly high-performance graphical processing units, sometimes with many, 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 many cores, each of which can run in parallel, and they allow phenomenal amounts of calculation. Now, they're often being turned to purposes other than actually rendering stuff, but Fundamentally, you know, that's what drives the high-end Macs and even the lowest-end Mac is that you've got dedicated processing capability that's that's fantastic. The amount of energy they require, and you know, especially on the higher-end machines, relative to what's available on iPad and the heat dissipation, I mean, there's some, I don't know what the factor is. Is it 100? Is it 1,000 times difference between the full computational power of, say, a high-end Mac Pro or iMac versus the highest-end iPad, until that gap has narrowed tremendously, I mean, forget the whole interface and being able to support multiple large monitors, that retina displays, that's all one thing for graphics professionals, video animation professionals. But just that performance gap, that that is going to be tricky. You can't have a handheld device today, and probably not in five years, that could match desktop performance, including the graphics part, which is where I think Apple probably makes most of its money, is selling these higher-end, high-margin machines to people who need that. <laughs> Right. Ugh. All right. So let's uh, let's thank our other sponsor this week, and then we'll talk El Capitan. Uh, and so I'd like to thank Zoom for being one of our sponsors this week. According to 100% of Zoom's marketing team, Zoom is the number one co video conferencing service of all time, period. <laughs> well, it's possible they exaggerate, but it does combine video, screen sharing, and group messaging into one platform, and that platform runs across any device you can think of. Macintosh, Windows, iOS, Android, all the stuff that's already in your conference room. So if you ask the average person who is trying to use video or web conferencing at work, you hear the same story. And now I don't work in an office, but I ask people, what is terrible about video conferencing? And they say, I can't join the meeting. There's laggy and choppy video. The interface is buggy. The audio comes in and out. It's terrible. Well, Zoom leaves these issues behind with an easy to use service that's backed by industry leading functionality built for startups, universities, and enterprises alike. It's got a fast, simple interface supports HD video, desktop and mobile screen sharing, and cross-platform messaging. The mobile screen sharing feature is particularly useful for mobile game and app developers. It's easy to share the screen of any iOS device in a Zoom meeting, which I think is an awfully clever feature. You have to use extra software if you want to do this yourself to collaborate on design or demo features in the user interface. So you can sign up for your free Zoom account today at zoom.us slash podcast. That's Z-O-O-M dot U-S slash podcast and start hosting better video meetings immediately. There's no strings attached here, no trials. It's really a free account. So give them a try at zoom.us slash podcast. And thanks to Zoom for being one of this week's sponsors. El 
Capitan. Mon Capitan. What do we have to say about this? It's been <laughs> it's been weeks since it came out. We've been able to percolate on it. What are your thoughts about this uh, upcoming 10.11? The OS 10 10.11, as we speak it formally. Um, I'm excited. I everyone loves the new OS 10. Uh, I haven't had much problem, uh, many problems with Yosemite. I haven't had the Wi-Fi issues. Everything works pretty well, but you know it could always be better. So I've been looking through Apple's materials on El Capitan. I love the name, by the way. That's amazing. It's such um, a weird name. I mean, it's I, so great. It's I mean, it's fantastic, but it's like it was not expected. You're like, El really, Capitan. really, El Capitan. All right, it's the great. most interesting OS in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, I think people outside uh, the U.S. are are a little confused. They're like that. That's a weird way to say it, and I'm never going to say it right. And Yosemite was weird enough, and now you're getting even weirder. So let's I love call it, it Cap, like Captain yep. America. We'll call it Cap. El Cap, El Cap, El Jefe. Um, so the the I mean, the, but the apps I use all day long, my bread and butter, are Safari and Mail, and they both have um, improvements coming that I think is going to really help. Um, mail is going to suggest the events and the contacts. So right now, if you get a mail, you know, an email. You're looking at it in mail. Someone has their signature. It's got their address, maybe their phone number in it. You can hover over that, and it'll offer to add it to contacts. And then if there's an event, you know, someone says, hey, what are you doing Saturday at noon? You can hover over that, and it'll make, let you create a new event. But you have to remember to do that. And I, you know, I don't like mouse over my email all the time while I'm reading it. That's a weird thing to do. So now it'll just, it'll just put little little call-outs at the top of the mail. It'll say, there's an event in this email, and an add button, click it to add to your calendar. There's a new contact in this email. If it's someone who's already in your contacts and it notices that there's been a change, it will offer to update it for you. Ooh. That's so huge. Oh, that's like um, inverse Plaxo. Yeah, I mean, Plaxo you and I, <laughs> in the tech media, it's a freaking game of musical chairs over here. Like, people are always going from one site to another site. To, I used to work for The Verge, and now I work for BuzzFeed, and then... Next so week, I'll be working work? for TechCrunch. You, so. get a, you get an email, and it matches the name? Does it look at the name? or are there other? I don't know how that's going to work yet. Yeah, that's, I don't know cool. either. But it's but cool. It's so just, it'll say, like, hey, we think this person's address has changed. You it'll change? let you know when the email address for one of your contacts has changed. So you know how like a lot of your contacts will have, like, 10 email addresses? Maybe it's one of those where they know that this person is an iCloud user or oh, something. Oh, yeah, and then suddenly you get – yeah, it's I, – I love – right, because that's that kind of – I mean, this is where – uh, computers should help you. <laughs> computers should help you do things that are repetitive and that it can monitor by looking at lots of stuff at once. And that's yeah, that's yeah. Th th that's kind of the theme I feel like to El Capitan. It's just it's it's more help behind the scenes. Um, we didn't get Siri, but Spotlight is going to have a lot of natural language kind of stuff. You can type in documents I worked on yesterday. If you can't remember what you called that document and you just want to see what you worked on, you can't remember if you were looking at it in ByWord or, or text edit. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's going to be good. Um, yeah, just the computer is going to do more remembering and more and more thinking for you. You'll be able to, to spotlight the weather. Apple's so obsessed with the weather. <laughs> uh, weather and stocks. What is the matter? Weather like, and stocks. You yeah, think you they were ask, uh, ask spotlight about your stocks? Maybe they're alchemists or something. They're trying yeah. to affect. Use the weather. Oh, oh, super villains. Weather machine. Affect <laughs> the stock market. Yeah, it's a there's a weather movie. machine in the in the basement of. Cupertino. Oh my God, Siri! What happens when? No, sorry. Uh, but no Siri. So we get natural language yeah. processing, but no Siri yet. It seems like it's so close, you know, because you can you can talk to your Mac and do kind of dictation. So if I dictate it into the spotlight when window is that is that pretty close to Siri so it's it seems so close I'm surprised that they didn't just say 
and Siri. So uh, yeah, I don't get that. Um, maybe that'll be the big addition next time because this is sort oh. of a, a maintenance step. Maybe that'll be the well, the big the big splash. I, I do know. think I think Siri has a real limitation with Macs, which is the uh, microphone. Um, and it's that's you know it's a non-issue with the iPhone is that you either have to hold it close. The iPhones have multiples. I think iPhones and iPads both have multiple speakers. They can do noise cancellation, and they have you know they control all the circuitry. And it's like, what are you going to talk into? I, I I mean, this has always been the issue with. Um, or it wasn't the issue in the past before the current generation of uh, of deep learning based um, voice recognition and processing was uh, that you had to have a particular mic. It had to be, you know, you get a USB headset that came with the software and they sort of qualify certain ones and right. you'd have to test. And I wonder if that is holding it back that like Apple can't guarantee someone talking into a built in mic on a Mac, Mac, Mike Mac, uh, would be able to get adequate performance or not. And that, you know, they're not going to ask people to buy a special headset to use it. Yeah, it seems like it would be a lot dif more difficult than doing it on a watch or a, on a on a handset that, you know, you know it's going to be in their hand. It's never going to be mm -hmm. farther away from their mouth than, you know, the, the, the length of an arm. Earpiece or something. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. that could be it. But, you know, so Windows 10 is getting Cortana. And that's going to be really helpful. Um, you know, Google Now is pretty well integrated into the Chrome ecosystem. So, so that'll be nice. It's, it just seems like that's, that's one place where OS X is, is lagging a little bit behind, behind its competitors. Kind of love uh, Craig, Craig Federici's uh, dad humor. It's always good. And he's like, hey, look at this incredible innovation. You can resize and move the spotlight window in, uh, in El Capitan. Yeah. I was like, and it's true. And everyone kind of laughed because we're all sort of embarrassed <sighs> that you can't do that already. But, you know, we're like, oh, ha, ha, that should have been in there. It was the annoying. Yeah. It's, and there's a lot of stuff in Yosemite that felt like, okay, quick, get it, get it out there and Yosemite uh, Spotlight is very unreliable for me. I'm one machine and perfect on another. So I bring up mm. a new command space. I type something in. I can wait a minute sometimes for stuff to come up on my new spanking new Mac Mini and on a identical MacBook, same vintage. It's like, boop, comes up. And, you know, they don't have substantially uh, – I mean, they've uh, the Mini has more files, but that's the whole point of indexing is that uh, I'm not watching it indexing in real time. It's just something – Spotlight is like a long-running – Nightmare. <laughs> I use Spotlight a ton. That's another I thing I, I use constantly. I launch yeah. apps with it. I do all. I, I don't, you know, organize my files into folders. I don't keep track of where things are. I just kind of rely. I just dump it all in one place and rely on Spotlight to find it. You know, Semini, it's been pretty reliable for me. Every once in a while, it sort of can't, you know, it has a, a problem finding something where I know I put it somewhere. Um, but I'm not. I'm, I'm looking forward to the natural language thing because I'm not great at the power, you know, queries where you'll type in something that you think was in the file name and then <sighs> you know, kind colon JPEG. Like, so I can get those to work sometimes, but it's it's mostly me. It's not that the computer's doing anything. It's just that I haven't memorized the mm -hmm. right way to ask it things. So with more natural language, Apple's saying, look, don't bother. Like, you don't have to memorize that or have a cheat sheet post it, you know, stuck to your monitor, like you can, you can just ask us and we'll try to figure it out. So, so maybe that's kind of setting the stage for the machine learning and the kind of queries that it's going to need, you know, to, to really pull off Siri that yeah. and, the, and the microphones getting if it, better. If it does the feedback, I mean, that'll be the interesting thing is do we do, uh, do we type in natural language queries and those are sent off for processing? Are they handled locally? If they're sent off, what the privacy issues are? with that and then how does apple fold that the results of that into better uh performance um 
It'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, you know, I find this in photos, you know, photos has got, oh my gosh. I, th- I mentioned this in relation to El Capitan also. I think Apple's going to s- sneak through the photos updates that we actually need now because the software is essentially incomplete and has some bugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might, I'm sure they'll do another bug release. We have 1.0. Has 1.0.1 of photos came out, right? Didn't it? I can't even remember. I don't know. No, I don't think it did. I think we're still on... I was looking, I was Isn't that funny? I've been assuming one would come out by now. So <laughs> we are on 1.0. So uh, El Capitan will have expanded photos features. And I suspect... Oh, I'm on 1.0.1. You're on 1.0.1? What, what happened to yeah. me? Why am I not? I don't know. I got better photos. Wait, are me. you running a beta? Or no? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. I'm running a Yosemite beta. There we go. Well, so there we go. So there'll be, you know, and so I knew 1.0.1 would come. It's coming. It's coming. I mean, that's <laughs> inevitable because their 1.0.1 is always in planning when a 1.0 is released. Like they already know what they need to add. So the question will be, you know, that the, these features announced for El Capitan, will they be backported? Will the photos 1.1 or 2.0, whatever they call it, will that also work in Yosemite? Or is it going to be like, nope, sorry, you got to have El Capitan. And we know people update at enormously high rates in OS X. I mean, I've looked at the numbers, and it's staggering how many people... Now that it's free, it's like you might as well. Yeah, and people do it. So unlike, you know, and the capabilities, I think uh, El Capitan, I don't think they've announced, there is no system requirement like there is for iOS. They didn't list it. And the assumption is a maintenance release will work on all the systems that a previous release would. And I believe Yosemite works on machines that go back as far as 2007, yeah, uh, which is a, I mean, not all models from 2007, but but some, and uh, and certainly the last uh, five to six years, I think it's everything. So that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of useful too. And if they've improved their performance, it'll be better for older machines. Oh, but the thing I was gonna say with photos is photos got rid of some of the querying that you could do in iPhoto. Its search dialog is terrible. You type in June 9th, and it doesn't really know what you mean. It, it in the way it should. And it's like, do you have a friend named June? Did yeah, she just like, turn nine? June is a date, nine is a date. I'm like, yes, I understand that. You don't need to expose your Korean language to me. Just find, I want like photos taken on September 9th, 2000 and, you know, whatever, 2012. Find those. Don't bother me. So I'm hoping we'll see some of this natural language stuff filter into other apps as well, like mail and mail is, you know, mail is a pain for that as well. Hey, so that new feature in mail. I didn't quite get what's going on there. So uh, Federici demonstrated this thing where you, uh, you're in mail and then you are composing a message and you go to do something else and it's like a new kind of minimizing and hiding, which I don't think we've seen before, right? The window shrunk to like a toolbar at the bottom of the screen. I had to watch uh, that a couple times in the demo. Do you remember I this? It was a little weird. I remember that. Yeah, there's, so it was, a, there's an enhanced full screen view. So if you're writing a message and you want to copy text or attachments from your inbox, I guess it just, yeah, it slides down to the bottom of the that's screen it. to yeah, get out of your way. Oh, that's what's called enhanceful. Yeah, but it's, it's odd And because... the compose window is also tabbed now. So if you're working on several emails at once, which I do way too much, um, they, they will all be in tabs. And <laughs> then you, you will forget the ones that are in the other tabs. They're still yeah. there and you haven't sent yet. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't uh, really use full screen mail though, so I don't know if I'll ever notice that. I don't, and I, I mean, I think one of the other things, the emphasis on this one was, hey, we're going to help you. We're going to make full screen mode better for all apps. We're going to have uh, better support for wide landscape monitors, sixteen nine proportion, and others um, where they feel like they've lacked before. And I think it's true. I don't use full screen mode in almost anything because it pushes things further away. You know, if I'm doing layout, yes. If I'm doing photo editing, yes, and I'll use two screens. Uh, if the full screen mode supports it. But for most things that involve text manipulation, reading, um, whatever, I want all my tools close, 
or mm-hmm. some new rethink would need to happen. And full screen mode typically just, I've got a 16.9 monitor. It just pushes stuff out and I'm like mousing off to the edge, like, whoa, and then back. And, and that doesn't help me. So clearly they're, they've gotten feedback and are going to try to improve that. Yeah, I find full screen apps disorienting when you're switching between them and your whole screen's like sliding back and forth. Like, I don't know. I don't like it. I'm just like put it all on one screen. That's what I'm used to. That's what we've been doing since the dawn of time. So I'm a two screen user. There's been some studies about uh, efficiency. They go back years and people with two screens or three screens can perform tasks more efficiently than people with one screen. And I've been a two screen user. Adam Inks convinced me years ago. And so I'm a two screen desktop user, one screen laptop user, um, even when I'm in a I have a place. second screen and I just don't put anything in it. Oh, that's hilarious. No, I've got like email, email is to my right. Like literally I have a screen that's tilted slightly to the right and that's where I do email. And yeah, I've tried putting like hip chat and tweet bot over there or something. And it's just, I, you know, the, I, the, the resolution's different. So it looks like the text is smaller and I'd have to play with that oh. and get, get it right. Like I just, it's never felt comfortable to me. I could probably force it. Oh, well, you have to do what works for you is the whole thing, and if it doesn't That's work for you. That's the great thing about them. You can set what? it up however you want. So they're gonna have they're gonna have split view kind of things where um, you know a window will just kind of snap into one side and the other. They keep talking about mission control features. I, do I people don't use? use it. Do, I don't use it. Spaces has sort of been broken for a while. For I mean, for me, it's been broken. I'm sorry, I don't want to speak generally. Spaces doesn't work on one of my machines, and I have to I think do a clean install, which I don't really want to do if I don't have to, just to get spaces to work uh and i just they they kind of i think it's great eye candy i think like look you can have all your windows in multiple spaces and put this there and drag that up and it snaps and i'm like yeah it looks interesting but i don't think in practice and especially it's the weirdest non-simple thing that apple pushes like that is not the definition of simplicity to have multiple desktops that even if i can manage them well and i do know there are some people who i know who do use multiple desktops they have sort of different tasks set up and most apps now correctly support that but i just have i have everything i switch between things in the same context i don't want to go i don't want to go window to window when i pull up mission control now it's usually because i accidentally did the gesture on the trackpad (laughs) trying to like move a window or just you know point at something or mission control there's mission control so Uh, i I don't know i guess it's useful If, if you use it it's gonna get better so that's great (laughs) <laughs> I did like the, uh, the one of the, uh, fla- uh, again, this is, you can tell it's a maintenance release because your flagship features like this. It's the wiggle the mouse and it gets bigger, oh, yeah. which sounds very obscene. This podcast is safe <laughs> And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe you should just grab that a little differently. But it's, uh, but it's, yeah, I totally get it. With bigger screens and with retina displays, you sometimes don't know where the cursor is and you're, you're moving the mouse. And uh, sometimes software also, I notice if I'm playing a YouTube video or um, I think especially video, but sometimes certain web environments suppress the cursor and I'm yeah. moving around. I can't see it. And so, you know, then you really don't know where it's at. So, uh, this will be, you wiggle a little bit, wiggle the trackpad and it'll get larger so you can spot it and go, aha. And then it will shrink back to its normal size. I want uh, it to flash different colors and shoot out some lasers. The blink. It'd be like a magic wand. Oh, I had blink. a, I had a boyfriend once who changed the cursor on his PC. So it was a little lightsaber. And, oh and my you, God. you pointed and clicked at things with this tiny little lightsaber. He was a total nerd. He also put all these sounds in it. So if you opened a file, like Homer Simpson would go, don't. And it was like a different sound for everything you do on his computer. It was so you know, annoying. You know, you can have custom uh, cursors in some uh, browsers. Maybe you should get the IDG's programmers to make a little mouse that'll... Uh when you yeah. get out to the Mac, I'll be go. Oh, no, don't. Do I could stay late. <laughs> could change it on everybody's computer. That's right. No, that all of our clarity. visitors. No, every visitor works on the browser. Uh, yeah. We don't. We don't need that. Um, 
uh, surprising fact, 50% of Mac users use the Notes app. I guess that's not a surprising fact because it's free and built in and you're like, I need to take a note. What do I do? There's an app called Notes. Perhaps I shall use that. So Apple actually put uh, what seems like a fair amount of effort into making Notes. What's weird to me is Notes is now more like text edit, which is a hidden gem uh, hidden, it's not hidden. I mean, it's just a gem of OS 10 is text that it opens all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Let's you essentially do, you can do uh, rich text formatting. You could print and you can save into a bunch of formats. It's a great little piece of software. So notes is getting essentially a bunch of text edit features. Like you can embed URLs and you can do some formatting and it'll now sync if you want across uh, platforms. Right. So you'll be able to get your notes in all different places, which seems very good. Yeah, they're making it a little more Evernote. You can do little checklists and, and you'll be able to to drag in things. I like how you can drag a website from the from the URL bar in Safari and it won't just make a link. It'll give you a little preview because sometimes oh, you can nice. look at a link and know what you're going to see, but sometimes you really can't. Um, you know, like a YouTube link or something. It's just YouTube slash watch slash a number. But if you dragged it in and it made that little kind of preview card like you see in Twitter or something that gives you a little, a little mm-hmm. preview of what, what you're going to see, that, that could be really helpful and you won't be clicking on a bunch of things to try to figure out what they are. Uh, probably a very important thing for you is transit directions in OS ten since you <laughs> you live in a major metropolitan area. I never area. use maps on OS ten though. Yeah. Like I that's the la- I don't know. It I don't look up accident. directions on my computer very much because if I'm using my computer, I'm inside sitting down. Um, and yeah, and if I did, I would just use Google Maps. I'm sort of um, bummed. The only thing I don't like about Fantastical too is you can't change the map source, so it uses integrated Apple Maps as it should. Right. It's an OS 10 app, but I'll be like, oh, you know, and I love so oh, Fantastical too. You're like, I have an appointment. I'm coming down to San Francisco and going to 73 different places. So I've punched in all the addresses into Fantastical. It's got a nice interface for that, and then I click on the map, and it opens map. It, you know, actually, I shouldn't say no. I'm sorry. It uses as I'm looking at it, it's using a uh, Mapbox, which is a really interesting company, totally unrelated to anything else. They do mapping data. Uh, but when you click it, it opens the Maps app because it needs to open in an app. I don't think they, uh, they don't let you choose to, say, open in a website using Google Maps. Oh, no, wait. I'm so sorry. I've, I have cast terrible aspersions. There is, in fact, a preference. So I'm changing that. So now I don't use Apple Maps <laughs> at all. <laughs> The Good things tip. we discover. I don't remember that when I was reviewing it. But, uh, it's a so journey of discovery. Yeah, it's a journey, but so fantastic. Yeah, so I don't use Apple Maps at all except by accident in OS X as well, even though it's improved. Um, but transit directions might change. Uh, the thing that I like best about Google Maps, and again, I, since I don't use Maps in OS X, I don't know how this works, is uh, Google Maps, if I'm logged in, uh, you know, I choose to do this, it has all this information. I know where I've been before. I can pull up previous things. It has my home and work address stored, all this stuff. And, um, and I use it preferentially. So I don't know if Apple can start to match that. Maybe we'll train people into using maps, like with you know syncing where we syncing previous user locations, that kind of thing. Maybe that'll get us back into it. But I don't know. Yeah, all my inertia has been towards Google Maps. But you know, the more Apple things I get, the more I'm just like throw up my hands and say, okay, I give up. I'm just going to use Apple software. I was using all Chrome, but now it seems. Like I should go ahead and use Safari because I like how the extensions will let me, you mm-hmm. know, send a link to my to-do list or something. So I switched to Safari, and then with um, with Google Maps on my phone, the big 
game changer there has been my Apple Watch. So I've kind of been using Apple Maps more because I like how I can get the you know directions tapped out on my wrist with my Apple Watch. So yeah, Apple's making it more and more attractive to use their software. But then you know sometimes you run into frustrations when that's not as good as as the thing you had before. Oh, we should mention one last thing. Speaking of Chrome, Metal, which is uh, El Capitan's uh, kind of evolution Metal. of uh, of graphic language programming stuff. And this gets into areas I don't know very much about at all. But uh, the idea is that it's going to be enormously faster. It gets you closer. This is an old computing phrase, you know, close to the metal. Closer to the metal. Yeah. So you're getting closer to the actual. You get it lets developers reach down with less abstraction, or I shouldn't say necessarily less abstraction, but less. Uh, intermediation that causes delay. So they can actually access more of the power of the GPU. We're talking about GPUs again and other parts of the system um, for uh, for gaming and other things than, uh, than was available. And they showed a, um, during the keynote, they showed a apparently a, a, a game that everybody is slightly disinterested in and no one was very excited to see it run faster. I understand from the gaming community, but uh, so Metal's coming. And that'll, so that'll, you know, there's plenty of people playing games on Macs. There's plenty of room for uh, for uh graphical improvement across all kinds of graphically oriented apps for professionals and this will help with that. It's a small thing uh, I think in terms of like user facing for understanding what it is but a big thing for developers for whom that applies. Yeah, and um, Macworld, one one last thing, one more thing. For, one more thing. For, for Macworld one. users, um, you know, in particular, um, in Safari, you're going to be able to to mute a tab. Oh my gosh, how did I not put this in the notes? Yes. Yeah, so, Woo. you know, if you're on a website Woo. that's a really good website with good content, very attractive editors, um, but, you know, their bosses have made the misguided and unfortunate decision to have auto-playing video all over the website, and the editors don't like it, and the readers don't like it, but it's not, you know, it's not really up to me. Um, Safari is going to let you mute that tab, mute all tabs. <laughs> it's going to show you exactly which um, tabs have sound in them because right now there's that little sound guy that plays, but you don't always see it if you have a lot of tabs open, which I'm sure you do. Um, so that's going to be really huge. That's going to be a, a game changer because I've been noticing that autoplay is kind of the scourge of the internet. It's popping up everywhere. It's not just us. I was on CNN the other day and they were oh, autoplaying CNN. to me. I, and YouTube, so, YouTube did this Apple's thing helped. too. When a video stops, unless you, you know, they put an autoplay It'll just button. just keep playing more yeah. videos. There yeah. is a, a well-exposed autoplay switch that you can turn off. So you have to find it. It's on the main page where, you know, sort of below the videos we're they gonna recommend. We're going to put that in show notes. Yeah, exactly. Autoplay switch. Um, but yeah, I mean, why bother people with stuff they don't want? I actually have my audio on mute most of the time when I'm using yeah, my computer and uh, when I'm listening to music on the Mac I'm like oh no I'm gonna get some tabs so yeah I think um, there's this thing about eating your own dog food right it's companies that you use your own stuff because that helps you understand how your users interact with it this sure. is such an eating your own dog food people mm -hmm. at Apple are like god damn it this is a 50 time I'm trying to get work done they're like look Safari team you know a, a picture Steve Jobs would be an angry okay we're gonna get this you know Tim Cook's probably all right what yeah. we need to do is we need a button, and I want you to take care of it. I can tell what's playing. One thing, and that's it. And they're like, okay, Tim, we're on it. And Because as an engineering feat, it's really tiny. They know what's playing audio because it has to access yeah. resources from the sandboxed tab. So they know. And I, I think this is like the most positive user <laughs> change made in Safari since it stopped reloading form entries in some previous version when you uh, crashed and reloaded. Yeah. I, I used to have a, a little utility. I'm totally blanking on the name of it, but it would let you set different volume levels for different applications. Oh my God. 
on your it's I think dream. it was called like uh, I'm I don't remember I'll put I'll find it I'll put it in the show notes but anyway that would let you say you know what I never want to hear audio from Safari why don't you just kill audio in Safari and I'll if I want to watch a YouTube I'll use a different thing so but anyway um yeah we hear you about the autoplay when people complain on Twitter I am both frustrated for them and very thankful because I collect those and I email them to the people <laughs> who hopefully you know care and can do something oh, about it. Um, this, I'm on our site all day. I have you know ten or twelve tabs open on our site at any given time. They're all playing video. It annoys me too. So it's not that we haven't heard you or that we don't care. It's just that you know it's not our decision. And they say that this makes money. So but we're 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 challenging that. We're like show us the data. Like so the, uh, someday. I, I, sh- I recommend uh, speaking of videos. We, uh, uh, listeners should uh, go watch John Phillips and uh, his uh, the beer machine. That's, that's a good a, video. That's a great video. You're on you it. You're get in it. it to play full screen. There's some weird bug with that. You can one see too. a good good chunk of the IDG staff in that video. Yeah. Uh, well, it's this the is second time I drank beer on camera for. Ooh, a video, so <laughs> this is a great job you. you've got. I like that. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been another episode of the MacWorld Podcast, and we finally got to OS 10. We'll have more. To talk about in future weeks, uh, you can email us at podcast at macworld.com or go to macworld.com and check out the entry for this podcast and leave us notes. And we'll uh, we'll talk about other stuff that you're interested in as well. Susie, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Glenn. Always a pleasure. It has been a joy to talk about OS X and malware with you. And I want to thank Red Hat and Zoom for sponsoring this episode, number 462 of the Macworld Podcast. For June 24th, 2015, this is Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon.